Hello and welcome to the Journeying Through the Bible podcast. I'm glad you came to listen. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. Today we're beginning an exciting trip through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to go chapter by chapter and it is going to be a very interesting, a very fun journey, and I want you to know that before we begin, we need to be looking for some things, and one thing you need to know is that Mark answers the question, who is Jesus? And as we look throughout the entire book of Mark, we're going to be seeing what who Mark is saying that Jesus is, and he says at the very beginning, he says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So what we find out is that even from verse 1, there's no spoil- there are spoilers here. So spoiler alert, Mark has an opinion. Mark is writing not simply to find out who Jesus is, but to tell the reader and to tell you this is who Jesus is. He is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we find out that, one, some of the answers are Jesus means good news. Gospel means good news. That's where I get that from. But Jesus is the good news. The good news that your sin does not have to define you. It does not have to completely weigh on you for the rest of your life. That there is an answer to the brokenness of this world that is found in Jesus alone. And we also learn that he is the Christ, the Messiah. This would have been good news on good news because the messiah was looked for all the way back in genesis 3:15 when jesus, when when god pronounced judgment on adam and eve and he said at the end of it that he will come and he will crush the head of the serpent and he will and the serpent will bruise his heel and from then on people were looking for this he who who is this person that will come and who will end the curse and what mark is saying and, and throughout uh, Israel's history, they were looking for the Messiah, the one who would do this. And what Mark is saying is, it's Jesus. He's the good news. He is the Christ, the Messiah. And we also learn that he is the Son of God. He is God in human flesh. So we have the good news about the Messiah, who is God. And, and Mark says that's who Jesus is from the very first verse. He says that he's the fulfillment in verse 2 of the Old Testament prophecies, playing into the fact that he is the Messiah. He actually quotes Isaiah the prophet and says, Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. He's connecting here to John the Baptist, who is going to be the messenger, the trailblazer, the forerunner of the Messiah. And so again, he's connecting. The Messiah will have somebody go before him. It's going to be Jesus. He's the one that has the person go before him. And then in verse 4, we get to meet that messenger. We get to meet John. Now we would wonder, why is that significant? Why is John significant? Why, why does Jesus need a messenger? Well, it connects again, not only to a messianic prophecy, but it connects to the fact that in that time period, kings would send messengers ahead of them. 
And it's a very not-so-subtle way to say that Jesus is the king, and he even has messengers going before him, preparing the way, getting the people ready, and getting them excited for the coming of the king. And we find John out in the wilderness preaching the repentance and the forgiveness of sins and proclaiming a baptism for it. And so this kind of new thing is happening. John appeared. Where, do you, where did he appear from? Well, I mean, he didn't just appear, but he appeared on the scene. Suddenly, there was this guy wearing camel's hair and, and a leather belt, and he was eating wild locusts. And all this is kind of a connection to the prophet Elijah, who was, again, supposed to be the one that was the messenger for the king, for the Messiah. And he's out there, and suddenly he's, he begins preaching and baptizing people. And it's like he just jumps onto the page. And people are excited. They're coming out to see him. It says in verse 5, And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to John, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. This is a spiritual awakening. People are confessing sins. They're being baptized in repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Everybody's coming out. There's a buzz in the air. I mean, some people, without a doubt, would have known that this this is this might be the messenger. This might be the one. Uh, some people thought maybe he is the one. And so it says uh, in verse 6, it talks about what he was wearing, and then he preached, saying, again, he was preaching, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he, that is the, the one that I'm preparing the way for, which we know is Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, a spiritual baptism. I'm just doing water. He's going to bring the Spirit. We find out from even right there, he is preparing the way, preaching, teaching, getting people ready. The excitement, the buzz is in the air. We have in the beginning, here's Jesus Christ. He's getting ready to enter the scene. He's got a guy preparing the way. He's got a guy telling him, look, it's, it's good. People are coming out to me, but no, 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 I'm not special. It's Jesus who is special. He's the one. He's the one. And then we find out that Jesus, in verse 9, goes to meet John. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, a lot of the other Gospels give a lot more attention to this, but Mark He's focusing on some different things. So what is Mark focusing on? Well, specifically in 10, he focuses on what happens after Jesus has been baptized. See, other people were being baptized in that time. But nothing quite like this had happened yet. It says in verse 10, And he came up out of the water, and immediately, that's one of Mark's favorite words. You're going to see it a lot in this chapter and a lot throughout his book. He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice call, uh, came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son, with whom, with you I am well pleased. And we have this word torn, the sky being torn open. The only other time in Mark he uses this, this idea of something being torn is when the curtain is torn after Jesus dies. The, the curtain torn from top to bottom, torn in two. And what he's saying is, here, the sky has been torn open. When Jesus is baptized, the sky is open, the Spirit descends, the Father speaks, and he says, You're my beloved Son. He's the Son of God with whom I am well pleased. And immediately, people would have to be extra excited. Something is about to happen. And then in verse 12, 
probably not what you think would happen. The Spirit immediately, again, there's that word, drove him out, as Jesus, out into the wilderness. So this would be the beginning of your public ministry, and you're driven out to the wilderness, middle of nowhere, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days. Here's the purpose, being tempted by Satan. Now we know more about these stories. There's two Gospels that, that capture what was actually happening during that 40-day uh, time period and the various temptations that he went through. Mark is actually going to focus on the fact that the, the Spirit drove him out there. He didn't just wander out, but the Spirit was guiding, and Jesus was obeying the Spirit. It, it drove him out he, to the wilderness, but he was not alone. He was being tempted, but he was not alone on his side either because he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Jesus had this whole scene of being out in the, the woods, Satan's tempting him, he's out there with the wild animals, but the angels are there too, and they're ministering to him, and we know that in the end, it's because he's, he's tired, and he's weak because he's hungry, and, and so the angels are taking care of him, he's not alone, the spirit is guiding, and now in verse 14, we have John being arrested, well, the messenger at some point has to get out of the way for the king. And so here John gets arrested. Now, again, we know more from other Gospels about why. But here, again, Mark's focus. He gets arrested, but here's the focus. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God, the good news about God. And this is what he was saying. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. And so Jesus comes to proclaim the good news of God. He proclaims the good news. Now again, he is the good news. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he's here to proclaim. So who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. He is the good news, and he's proclaiming. He is a proclaimer of that good news. And what does he say? The kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying the time is fulfilled. Here's the Messiah. The kingdom of God is, is at hand. It's here. It's on the gates. And later in the, the book, he will kind of give some details on what the kingdom of heaven is like and what it looks like, but it's at hand. So what does he call people to, to do and for us to do? To repent and believe. If the kingdom of God is at hand, the Messiah is here, he's on the scene, we must repent and believe. And for us in the 21st century or whenever you're listening to this, on into the future, Lord willing and Jesus tarry, we have the same proclamation to us. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came to proclaim repentance and to proclaim that we believe in the gospel. And he's proclaiming the kingdom of God in doing that. And so now he's going to pass along the Sea of Galilee. And he's going to call his first disciples in 16 on. And what's interesting is that he comes up to these fishermen and he says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And, and I think so many times we read that and we just we rush through that. We pass by that without much of a thought. And when we do that, we really miss, we really miss something unique. That Jesus, when he called people, it had a compelling nature to it that is beyond anything we've ever seen. It compelled these fishermen, who, by the way, were not stupid people. They were businessmen, successful businessmen, because they had boats, plural, under them. And Jesus calls them to follow them, and they leave everything to do that. They leave their job, which is their identity at that time, 
if you were a fisherman, that was your whole life, your whole identity. Everything about you was a fisherman. And he says, follow me. I'll make you fishers, but, but of people. And they didn't even understand what that means, but the call was so compelling, they dropped everything and they left. And we find out that he goes a little further, and he sees James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and they were mending nets with their father and, and his people, and he, he did the same thing. And immediately he called them, and immediately they left everything, and they followed him. And what's screaming out from the text, and what I want you to hear, and what I want you to see as we read and we reflect on Mark, and we kind of meditate on what is God saying to us. It's like he's crying out from the thing, follow me, and there's a compelling call to follow Jesus. And that call means we must leave everything we are behind to follow Jesus. You'll see this again later with the uh, not the parable, but the rich young ruler, who again will be called to leave everything behind if he truly wants to follow Jesus. He gives him the same call. He says, go sell your riches and then follow me. Now, interestingly, he can't do it because the material things in his life were more compelling, and he chose to follow them. So we must make a decision to follow Jesus his compelling call with everything, but it's costly. It cost everything that we are. These men left everything, and they begin following Jesus around. He is, so again, who is Jesus? He's the Messiah. He's the proclaimer of the kingdom of God. He is the the master who calls in such a compelling way. We, we must leave everything to follow him. Now, in verse 21, he's going to begin to teach, and this is a, a theme throughout the Gospel of Mark. Jesus came to teach, and, and it, we're going to be also introduced to another theme about his authority. So he begins to teach in the synagogue, verse 21, and they were astonished. That's a word they're going to use quite a lot, at his teaching. For he thought... So he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately, again, there's that word, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy this, destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit does. And we have these this encounter with an unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit unironically, because he knows who Jesus is, Jesus has authority both over people and the spiritual realm, and he's and the Spirit knows you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus interestingly tells him to be silent. And you would think he would be like, well, tell it for the people in the back. You know, let everyone know. But, but he doesn't. There's this theme of him silencing demonic spirits, but there's also this idea that Mark kind of brings out, they know who Jesus is. Because if Jesus is the Holy One of God, if Jesus is God in human flesh, the good news, he's the proclaimer of the kingdom of God. He's the one who compels us to follow him at all costs. Here's the thing. He has authority over the spiritual realm as well as the physical world. And the demons know that. They know his kingly authority. And they don't challenge it in the sense that, yes, they, they are demons by rebellion, but they, they understand they are under his authority. He com if he command you know, later he'll command them to jump out of the man and, and jump into pigs and they do it because they have to because he's the king he has the authority complete control they're not at war he's already won 
And so Jesus silenced them, and the, the demon listens. He, he convulses the man, and he jumps out. And again, here's that word, they were all astonished, or they were all amazed, and they begin to question among themselves. Here's the question, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the demons, and they obey him. What kind of authority is he teaching with? What kind of authority does this man have? And that is going to be a question you see asked later in the book. And I want to point that out here, and we'll reference back to it later when we get there in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Now, at once, his fame spread. Pretty big deal. He throws this demon out. It listens. His teaching has authority. He has authority over demons, and they obey him. Fame spreads. People start coming out to see him. And immediately he leaves that synagogue and he goes to Peter's house. And his mother-in-law is sick. He heals her. She serves him. I'm going to kind of run through this a little bit. But because of his fame and because of his what he did at the synagogue, and now he's healed Peter's mother-in-law, people start coming out. They're gathered at the door. He starts casting out demons, telling them not to speak, and healing various diseases. And we jump to verse 35, and he right after a long night of ministry, he rises up early in the morning, and while it was still dark, and I, I personally, I have trouble getting up before the sun. I do have to do that for work, but I don't do that with a clear mind. I don't do that with a motivation to go pray, and it, this is convicting because this is what, what this should do is it should kind of call out and cry out, we need to get up, sometimes early, not not all the time. If your mind just doesn't work, it doesn't work in the morning. But there is a desperateness to prayer. He gets up early in the morning when no one else can find him. The sun's not up. People are still sleeping. He gets out. He gets away. And he begins to pray because Jesus understood there is a desperate need to pray. And if Jesus thought there was a desperate need to pray, how much more desperate for prayer should we be? How much more important should prayer be for us? And this, again, what, what do we take away from this? It, it is Mark saying, you know, as Jesus prayed, this is who he was. He was praying. He, he knew that he needed prayer. And it's almost like he's saying, why don't you pray more? How's your prayer life? And it should convict us a little bit. And it should encourage us to go, man, I need to pray. I'm not, you can't be too busy to pray. Jesus was busy. He spent all day and all night healing people, and people were already looking for him. Again, because what happens, Peter shows, hey, everyone's looking for you. We can't find you. Where are you? Uh, there's people that want to talk to you. And instead of kind of going in on that, he says, well, let's go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that's why I came. As much as Jesus came and he healed, he did not come to heal physical wounds. But what he did come was to preach the gospel, the good news about God. He came to heal on a spiritual level, something more that we need, even more than a physical healing. And he goes, yes, I could heal them. And he did. He healed many people. But they need a spiritual healing more. And we end, the last scene closes in Mark chapter 1 with the story of a leper, unclean. He comes up to Jesus and he, he asks very interestingly, in verse 40, if you will, make me clean. And move with pity or compassion, some versions say, he stretches out his hand and he touches him and said, I will be clean. Interestingly, he does not ask Jesus, could you? He, he knows he can. Fame is spread. He knows Jesus can heal about anything. And he says, but will you? And we also find out that Jesus has compassion. You see, he's not just 
this healer and this teacher only like a machine. He has compassion and he has love and he reaches out and he touches the unclean and makes them clean. And immediately the leprosy fell off him and he was made clean. And Jesus tells him, don't tell anybody and go show yourself to the police, the, not the police, the priest and offer your, the cleansing that Moses commanded. Do the thing the law says for proof to them. And, and this is what's funny. See, when, when Jesus told demons to be quiet, demons were quiet. But when he tells people to be quiet, they go and they tell everywhere. They talk freely about it. And news spread so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. So you would ask yourself as we close, why in the world would Jesus tell a man that he just healed, don't tell anyone? You would think he'd go tell everybody. Well, for one thing, Jesus wasn't struggling in the fame department at this point. He was already almost too famous to, to do what he wanted to do. He wanted to preach, and people were coming out so much, he kept having to leave those those places. And so what he said is, no, no, because if you keep telling everybody, I can't do what I came to do, and that is to, to teach. I'll heal you. I'll have compassion on you. But I came to, to show and to speak the gospel into into life. And so what happens is he begins to talk freely about it, uh, so that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly because people would just come out and be like, heal me. But he would go out to desolate places, and even there, people were coming to see him from everywhere. And so as we close today, uh, Mark chapter 1, we, we again, we, we start this great journey as Mark tells us who Jesus is. Jesus has compassion. He is a compelling caller, which means when he calls to us to follow him, he, it compels us to obey. He has authority when he teaches, so his teachings have authority. He has authority over the spiritual realm. He tells demons to do something. They listen and obey him, and people are astonished and amazed and asking the question, who is this? And so we must also ask that question even in our everyday life. Who is Jesus to us? Because if he's the king, then he calls us to follow him. We must obey or else we live in rebellion. Well, that's Mark chapter 1. I hope to see you again for Mark chapter 2 next time. As we journey through the scriptures together.